Hello, my name is Matt Pullman, and welcome to episode four of Missing Words. In this episode, we had the pleasure of speaking with Vivian Goldman. It's hard to think of something that Vivian hasn't conquered. She's known as the punk professor and has been a teacher at NYU for many years at the Clive Davis Institute. She is an acclaimed journalist and author. She has written books about Kid Creole, Bob Marley, among others. She's worked in PR and marketing, and speaking of Bob Marley, she was his first publicist. She's also an incredible musician who has released solo material and has played in bands like the Flying Lizards. I wanted 10 pence for the dryer. Yes, that was how we met. My laundry bag was broken. My clothes were soaking wet. I felt I needed hugging. You needed board and lodging. I can't complain, we went down the drain. Seems like I can't get away from For most of her musical career, she has been a studio musician, but last year she started playing her songs live and played what she describes as her first proper show at Basilica Soundscape here in Hudson, New York. Throughout the years, she has also remained a vocal supporter for women's rights and recently expressed solidarity with the Me Too movement. She is currently working on multiple books and gathering material for her class, but she took some time to speak with me on the phone recently. The call started off on a bit of a rough note, since we were talking hours after Trump's truly mind-blowingly stupid shithole country's comments. Like me, and I think like most people listening to this podcast, she was equally disheartened by that, but she wasn't down and out. You know, self-aggrandizement to an extraordinary degree. Well, it was a very depressing moment, you know, when I saw this latest outburst. Right. I just couldn't believe it. I'm working on a book right now about Nigerian art. I was like, well, that makes an even more of an act of resistance then. <laughs> yeah. Forming acts of resistance has been her manifesto for years, but that mentality is even stronger than ever before. It serves as a great reminder that even though we are witnessing some truly horrifying events and situations, we need to keep moving. For Vivian, it's about taking down the patriarchy and staying busy. I'm always working on something. It's just how I've always been. I've always been writing. I don't particularly, you know, I like to have the time to go off and get inspired to think about uh, more ambitious things. But I've never really known the time when I wasn't writing on something or other. Mm-hmm. You know, right now I'm working on two books. Uh, one about Nigerian art. Gary Okulemi, G-H-A-R-I-O-K-W-U-L-E-M-I, who was um, popularly known as Stella's Artist. Um, and, of course, all that has a big resonance now as the you know, radical voice of the people, people uprising, using culture, to express that anger. I mean, now we're going to see a flood of songs after, you know, you know, during this period where everything is so confrontational and so many of the rights that we thought that we had, you know, and almost took for granted, they're being challenged and they won't even take money. Like, look at what they're trying to do to stop the weed. You know, (laughs) they can't even be convinced by what it's done to the coffers of Colorado. And it's just, um, it's been like, you know, my, you know, my song, Private Army, little boys like dressing up in uniform and their toys blow things up. So it is sort of depressing, but 
as I was saying earlier, you know, right when it's depressing is when it's most important to somehow find a way to keep your energy up. Because uh, now is when we need it. It's really interesting revisiting some of her songs now. Songs like Private Armies and the Flying Lizard song, Her Story. These songs really resonate even more now. While military defense spending continues to skyrocket, and scummy men are still very much in power everywhere in society, these songs have taken on a new meaning and are just as much of a soundtrack now as they were then. Well, it's taken on a new meaning in the sense that it still seems so relevant, and people tell me so, and I can see it. And um, so, yeah, that is a deep feeling to see that these ideas last the test of time. But it just goes to show that uh, there's a lot of eternal verities in human nature, and don't need to underestimate people's ability to, um, you know, to just try and demolish others to make themselves bigger. You know? Yeah. And yeah. Um, basically, we all have to believe in everybody's essential um, goodness. That's, you know, in a humanistic way. But at the same time, it's always wise to be aware that sometimes it can be a bit of a thin veneer. So, yeah. you know, how people will will react under pressure is uh, something that's going to be interesting to watch. We've just got to keep on going, you know. That, that's all, even when it seems... A lot of people are depressed nowadays. You read a lot of stories about it, and I see it. A lot of young people are depressed. There's that sense of hopelessness. But there is something that will rise still in people. If the heavy metal boys or the boys in blue don't like the look of you, you better watch out. Don't like the look of you, you better watch, watch out. out. Back in October, Vivian took to her Twitter account to express solidarity with the Me Too movement. That tweet read, Yes, Me Too. Most females have experienced it. At least in one case, I knocked the wanker to the ground with a well-aimed kick. As a musician and journalist, Vivian has dealt with the machismo-fueled music industry for years. You always read those rock biographies and how groupies were almost a form of status for rock and roll bands. Punk rock has been fighting that for ages, but will this more recent movement and paradigm shift last? There has been some slight backlash along the way to the Me Too movement, but are we seeing the dawn of a new era that finds men being held responsible and punished for their truly awful behavior? In a way, um... You know, one wonders how long will it, how long will this ripple effect last, you know, because it's really trying to bring down Babylon because it's been ever thus. You know, I'm just writing this book, Revenge of the She-Punks, uh, which is about women and punk and about the struggle women, you know, have had that punk is a gateway to expressing because women have been so marginalized in so many ways and in music and everything they talk about is just absolutely par for the course. Um, you know, I haven't actually even, I mean, it's, me and my girlfriends, my generation, we always took it for granted. And that's why a lot of people would drop out because they didn't want to have to deal with the levels of harassment that, uh, 
they got, you know. And um, I'm interested to see this uh, counter-movement coming from France, headed by Catherine Deneuve. Did you see about that? Yeah, I was actually, that was one of the questions I had for you, too. Uh, yeah, it's, it's I'm just about to try and tackle this, you know, right now in the coming days uh, as I finish this Shepunk book, because, of course, it's all very relevant. Because, you know, America has always been much more puritanical than Europe, right? Right. So not to say, I mean, will we get rid of all these monsters? These monsters were just about everybody in the media establishment and they took it for granted as their right, like a sort of toi de seigneur. I think that may be, you know, a reason I've always liked to be freelance as well, slightly outside the system. Maybe that was part of it. Um, but, um, you know, I wonder how young people are going to be able to communicate emotionally and romantically now. You know, it's so right. those, yeah. you, but, you know, those sort of, you know, quote, monsters who were like every man in power. So, so, so many of them were vile harassers and just sleazeballs. You could look at them and see. And, um, you know, so what, you know, it's a kind of avalanche. And it's great to have a clean sweep. And uh, I, I can hardly, you know, I'm excited to see if more permanent change really, really comes. Um, right. Um, and yet at the same time, I wonder what the, they're, they're making emotional and romantic communication. I think they're putting a lot of pressure on it among people who aren't like that. If you see what I mean, I wonder yeah. what's going to hap happen. You know, like in, in France, they pay a lot of attention to le drague, which is sort of a process of seduction, you know. And now it's interesting. Are people going to have to exchange notes to a lawyer before they can come on to other people, you know? Right, um, yeah. So... Uh, I'm interested to see if it will hold because obviously I've suffered like every other female with this harassment. Uh, I, I can't imagine there's a single female who, who hasn't. Yeah. Uh, it was sort of the default mode of the patriarchy. Um, and what will the knock-on effects be? Will it make just easy communicating between people who are attracted to each other, even more fraught than it is, and surrounded by paranoias. Right. You know, so, you know, because that, the whole idea of seduction and the drag, and the French have so many words for it, um, sort of people getting to know each other, developing an intimacy, the hunt, as it were, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a romantic way, you know? Right. Yeah. What will I think what what Deneuve is talking about is what will it do to that? And yeah. uh you know, we're always eager to see bits of Babylon four and uh, these creepy entitled guys have been running things basically forever. So I will be personally extremely happy to see a new paradigm. <laughs> Thank you.
start. Yeah, resistance, 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 but opposition all the way. I mean, so to me, you know, it's the norm to be on a, a battleground uh, in the world of work. And for there to be, you know, automatic resistance because there weren't people without penises working who weren't regarded as somebody the producers might want to hit on or in some way exploit, you know, and the people who got ahead. And if you look at even the number of females who have made features, some of them have been married to other famous men in the film business and had that entree. That's yeah. what rock was. They were yeah. very heavily invested in that. You know, I, I still so clearly remember the early editorial meetings where even when I muscled my way into being a features editor, they were still saying, why should we write about women? Women aren't interested in music. Women don't buy music. Women don't make music. And I, they were saying that to me, and I was their features editor. Right. Saying, yeah. you, know, if, uh, you know, I said to them, if you think the women aren't buying the music papers, that means we've got a whole other market to go for. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's how stupid they are. I know. They were, and that, you know. So, yeah, let's see if we have a permanent paradigm shift. I'm, I'm curious to, to see, you know. One thing I think most people are kind of struggling with right now is can we separate the art from the artist? The Inziz Inzari news recently was pretty hard to take for me personally as a fan of his. I really enjoyed his book and his take on online dating. I love Masters of None. And while his actions aren't criminal per se, how should we react to these situations moving forward? What would happen tomorrow if the singer for your favorite band was revealed to have an awful truth? Do we discredit this art? Do we ignore it? These are not easy questions at all and I really don't have an easy answer. But I think Vivian had one of the more clear approaches to it. I've thought about it before, and I always just quote Hitchcock, who, you know, despite being some slight, somewhat spotty in, the, in his conduct himself about females, and <clears throat> so the least, he had a tag that went, never trust the artist, trust the tale. And I do believe in that. You know, uh, otherwise you could never listen to Wagner for a start. And even P.G. Woodhouse, who was like a vile fascist who did terrible broadcasts for the Nazis in the war. I mean, let's face it, Jesus is one of the funniest characters in history. Yeah, you, I, th- I do think you've got to separate. You know, that's been my creed to follow that Hitchcock line. It just made sense to me. Uh, you know, really, Wagner and P.G. Woodhouse answer that question to me. Vivian has been a professor at NYU for years. Her syllabus is rich in music history and experience, some of which she has experienced firsthand with Bob Marley and Fela Kuti. While there is some teaching experience in her family history, her path becoming a professor came over time and through interactions, not exactly just through lineage. I have never, ever really thought of doing it myself, uh, although I had communicated in various ways you know I'd made documentaries done radio shows um, but I hadn't really thought of teaching I was lucky that I was approached 
by um, um, a man. Of course, surprise, surprise, man. I do genuinely think he's very brilliant, Jason King, who was helping set up this new department, the Clive Davis Institute. And he'd come across my writing in a lot of areas and he came to see me speak. And, uh, you know, we had this discussion, would I be interested? And it was like, wow, that would be kind of a really interesting direction, in fact. And uh, I have loved it. Uh, I'm now about to teach a course there, teaching a crash course there. And I first taught there, I think, in 2005. Um, and I'm still digging it. Do you, do you have any sort of like um, kind of like a standard syllabus you kind of bring to your students or any sort of like manifesto that you kind of bring to the, the students that are coming to your class or anything you mm -hmm. kind of try to get? Well, I've been lucky all this time. I've been uh, actually teaching courses about people I've worked with and known and really respected to quite a large extent. The only one I hadn't had a direct human involvement with was when I taught about David Bowie, but I was of that generation that was so formed by him, and he, he meant so much to me, and, you know, uh, he was so significant. Uh, but, it, but all my other courses, I was able to, you know, mine my own ex direct experience sort of one-on-one, -on -one and... Um, uh, this, the, the, the aspects of these artists that had fired me to get that involved with them and dedicate that much time to thinking and writing about them, I was glad to be able to transmit that to students. And um, these artists had awoken me in various ways. So to be able to maybe pass some of that on. You know, I teach about Marley, I teach about Fella, I teach about punk. Um, these are things that really shape me a lot as a person and shape my values and my direction, and, you know, my choice of what to do with my life. So uh it's very exciting and then now in this course i'm doing some writing teaching as well it's a different sort of course it's a compulsory course and uh i did get to teach a, a writing course at rutgers too and that again you know is very exciting you know i i like to see the work evolve there's no doubt, you know, in the dialogues and the discussions and I find it very rewarding and that's that, you know, I really do. And also otherwise, as a, when you're doing a lot of writing otherwise, it's really good to have a regular thing to get you out of the house, mm -hmm. about, you know, communicating with people. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a very good balance. I hope to continue teaching. Along with her musical background, the courses are affected by her surroundings and the constant changing and gentrification of New York City. Those experiences and changes have come out in her classroom. And going back to what we were saying before, she has used teaching as a vehicle for change and inspiring movement from a new generation. Yeah, we teach a lot. We talk a lot about that. Yeah, all of that crops up a lot, especially if you're teaching, say, punk in Washington Square. Right. Because people are walking those same streets 
and you know, one one can show them footage and so on, like that, that documentary, The Bronx is Burning, is an old favourite for these classes. But um, you want, you know, I want to try and bring it to life for them. The difference between the comparative, you know, prosperous, one might almost say sterility of the area where it's getting more and more sort of one percent percent and all the little funky corners, you know, one is saying goodbye to them and that's widely noted in the press. You know, so but as I was saying about earlier about the good old human spirit, even though sometimes it's uh, understandable to feel extremely cynical, there still always is that sort of lick of energy that makes some people get off their bum and having to start doing things, stop, you know, having to start to shake it up. And then hopefully that's when you get a bit of a cultural friction going on where, you know, the new art busts through the concrete. Last year, Vivian finally brought her music to the stage. She celebrated the release of her compilation, Resolutionary Songs, with a party-slash-birthday brunch at Rough Trade in London. This was followed by her first show, played at the Basilica Soundscape Festival in Hudson, New York, with a wide range of artists, including Zola Jesus, Proto-Martyr, Priests, and many more. As she mentioned, Vivian saw her songs in a whole new light, and bringing them to a stage was interesting and something she didn't really have set plans to do. Those performances were also fueled by an intense anger of the political climate. I had this feeling I just want to go for it. You know, I just want to communicate. I really still find that the songs have a lot of meaning for me. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I still, you know, I still relish them. I sort of relish the opportunity to sing them. And being with Aram and Dunya was fantastic because we have a, we're from the same, cut from the same musical cloth. I actually met them through Ari of the Slits, uh, who was a good friend of both of us. And, um, yeah, I felt like communicating and I actually, for whatever reason, I was feeling a lot of anger at that moment with, you know, just like what we were talking about before, um, the, you know, just the system the word, throwing yeah. huge, the system throwing huge new curveballs at us from all directions, and right. us having to try and weave our way through the minefield. Something must have happened that day that made me very, you know, I felt I wanted to communicate that that um, you know a sense of rage that I had at that moment. But to me, laughter is a really good way of dealing with things and making people think about things and. That's why I like the song, It's Only Money, <laughs> you know, 
because uh, if we can find a way to not only just be sort of twisted up with rage, but also laugh, laughing is just a great way of oxygenating yourself. And as I was saying earlier, just keeping keeping the strength up. You know, the rougher it is, the more you need to keep the strength up. Psychically, you need to laugh. And for those who aren't stuck away writing, you know, have that enriching contact with other people. <laughs> which, which I suppose I have with the page or the screen. But, you know, I'm a great believer in it, the contact with the people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. Do you do you want to do more shows? Do you, do you think you would ever you would kind of pursue it again, or is it more like a one time or limited well, thing? Well, uh, I feel very zen about it. I might do a bit more, and uh, if it, it, um, there's possibly a certain level of interest in me doing some more, and it's sort of bubbling at the moment, and I'll see which way it goes. Um. I never really wanted to perform, like when I was a musician, I I did it barely at all. Uh, I think I did one gig with Chantage at, a, in fact, a woman's show where we were, a lot of the feminists criticized us for wearing lipstick. That's what stuck in my mind. So all these anomalies, you know, all these anomalies. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but... Uh, I think it might be interesting now to do some shows if it, if it crops up. I'd be interested to do them. Um, because, you know, partly because I think it's good to see that people of my crew can, can go out there and sort of shake things up, shake up right. the paradigm, upset yeah. the paradigm. That's kind of one of the things I like about it. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. So um, we'll see. You know, I can definitely keep some people, and we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I, I hope to see more shows. That'd be that'd be amazing. Yeah, if um, anybody hears it, but I'm not thinking of suddenly like dropping everything and going off on the road like that. No, that that right. wouldn't be nice. Seeing you know. Yeah. But yeah. I think maybe I find it was almost a bit more interesting to do now than I would have done when I was making more music. Got it. When I got really you. enjoyed more being in the studio, I was more of a studio. Like I like to say about the flying lizards, you know, that we were the nerds of synth pop, because out of all the flying lizards, say there was five or six of us, like four or five of us are professors. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and we used to have really good fun in the studio, and that's what I liked, you know, rather than schlepping here or there and. You know, no, I quite like being in the studio with, dare I say it, my boys and my girls <laughs> when there were girls there. And while being so involved in so many careers and pathways, Vivian has remained tuned in to art and the music scene. I feel like I've said this a bunch on this podcast so far, but with every awful thing happening in this world right now, music is absolutely crucial in keeping us sane, but also keeping us inspired. Are there any like kind of particular bands or artists that are inspiring you right now, or what was like the last great record you heard or book you read last last year? No. I'm just thinking about all these artists because I'm assembling this course and I've just been writing this book, Revenge of the Sheep Hunks. 
So, and then the Fella art book with Lemmy Garriott Crew. So, of course, I've been listening to Fella. Uh, and when I listen to Fella, I can feel still after all these years why I've been like working with Lemmy for many years to try and get the right context for our book. Because I think everybody should uh, hear Fella. Uh, you know, everybody should have access to that rhythm in their DNA computer because a different energy is unleashed as soon as these rhythms start. So, and then, you know, what he has to say um, is so confrontational and so caustic, such a brilliant lyricist. So, yeah, that's, just going back to those roots that's been going on and then listening to the punks and, you know, some new ones in the book, particularly a song um, um, called Silver Spoon by a group from London called Skinny Girl Diet. And when I saw the name, it intrigued me. And in fact, what happened was they saw one of those, um, you know, the, the wives of so-and-so, you know, the, what do they call them? You know, those, those reality shows. The oh, real wives. The, wives, the real, real wives of Beverly yeah. Hills. Yeah, 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 the real wives. So there's one, there's this one like the real wives of New York and there's this um, very thin chick who made a lot of money in sort of skinny girl cocktails and stuff. similar, you know, conundrums and contradictions. And I believe the young women from this band, Skinny Girl Diet, you know, they knew about anorexia, you know, and that when they heard this, title they just thought it was so grotesque and obscene that they decided to flip it and laugh at it and make it the name of their band <laughs> <laughs> and their song silver spoon i i, I you know is a, is a new song that i really love and okay. um yeah and um what other uh, you know everybody loves uh the interesting things that are people are doing such as Beyonce and Kendrick Lamar but uh, I can also tell you that um, the harm melodic sound I love is is still very liberating for me and in pulling together this course for NYU I've had cause to think about a lot of it and I think about Sun Ra again still have faith in it a lot of people are blasé about the force and potential efficacy of uh, of music, but I still have faith in it as something that can lead us forward. You know, I couldn't believe it. Again, when it said that about, when he said that about President Trump, just said that about Haiti and Nigeria, two of the countries that have given so much great music to the world, I hope to expand yet further, as do we all, you know? Right, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, realize certain visions despite everything or maybe impelled by everything maybe all the general sort of dread in the air you know would lead to a, a surge and a you know a, a new definition of sorts and new boundaries will be drawn that will be more positive yeah, if uh, if uh, America manages to overcome this gap this income gap that will be a huge thing for the country, but because that's one of the things that is dragging everybody down, the concentration of wealth, you know, 
that is one of our overriding big struggles. And not only in America, but it's so strongly felt in America. And um, I think we need that to be able to move forward. And I think that the tougher it gets, I think resistance will form. And, you know, I think music will have a part to play in it. Absolutely. And writing and the arts, you know. I still believe in it. I mean, what else have we got to believe in, really? Yeah, yeah, very true. <laughs> the thing I think the thing that's going to keep us going to keep us afloat. It's just you know, it's just art and creating, creating and reacting to all the awful, awful stuff that's going on around us. It's, it's, it's going mean, to keep us. I mean, you doing a pod, doing this podcast is a an act of resistance in itself. Yeah, you're yeah. trying to spread ideas that you believe in, right. that you hope will bring about change. Thank you for listening to episode four of Missing Words. It was such an incredible honor to speak with Vivian Goldman. I really want to thank her for taking the time to speak with me and having an incredible amount of patience while we worked on balancing our busy schedules to figure out a time to chat. Vivian is always staying busy. She is working on a few books right now and teaching, but you can try to keep up with her by checking out viviangoldman.com or her Twitter account, which is at Punk Professor. Also, thank you to Marcus from Stop Gold for providing the music for this episode. All of the music is from Vivian's amazing collection and retrospective called Resolutionary Songs, which is available now on vinyl and CD and digitally from Stop Gold, or you can always stop by your local record store. And as always, thank you to Bill Schultes for producing this episode. We'll be back soon with episode five of Missing Words, but please subscribe to the podcast through whatever platform you use and leave comments and a rating if you can. It's been so fun doing this project so far, and we'd love to get more people listening to it. Thanks again. Mm-hmm.